Welcome to Radio KAL, the Superman podcast brought to you by supermanhomepage.com. This is show number 71, released on November 24th, 2010. My name is Steve Eunice, and joining me is Neil Bailey. Hi, Neil. Hey, Steve. How's it going? Ah, it's going all right. We're getting close to snow around here, which means you're probably getting close towards the uh, hottest part of the summer, right? That's right, yes. Uh, who believe, can you believe that Christmas is just a month away? It's crazy. No, I, I can't even believe it's it's past summer yet. I can't. I, this year just went by real fast. <laughs> yeah, and uh, there's been lots of uh, discussion topics to touch on for Superman fans. Uh, let's get in with the movie discussion talk. Um, we've uh, had... Uh, lots of rumours and stuff going around. Uh, Zack Snyder uh, said in an interview that the internet has no idea what's going on, that all the rumours <laughs> have been circulating around the place are you know, pretty much uh, hit and miss and mostly miss. But um, you know, there's no General Zod as far as he's uh, telling us, which was one of the rumours going around that Zod would be the main villain. He says, no, that's not true. But what he does tell us is that the Superman movie that he's doing will take a different approach to any of the other previous films. Yeah, it's not surprising that the uh, internet has no idea. <laughs> but uh, I, I think that um, that's been kind of a buzzword to hack people off before, hasn't it, for the most part? Like saying that we're going to go with a different approach. Yeah. It's kind of weird. It's a catch-22. It's like if you say you're going to do something different, people are like, no, no, I want what I, re- what I remember. And if you say that they're going to be true to the stuff, they're going to be like, no, no, go in a bold new direction. So, <laughs> you know. Yeah, it's it's interesting, you know, they're saying a different approach or same, you know, when you say that, yeah, you know, people say, oh, they're just copying Birthright or they're just copying whatever, <laughs> and now they're saying, uh, you know, a different approach. People go, oh, I'm worried they're going to do something totally different. We want, you know, we want our Superman. So, yeah, it's, you, I don't, it's a, you can't win, you know, either way. Yeah. People are going to have a, have a problem with whatever they say. But, um, yeah, the uh, the one thing that was probably the latest rumour was uh, about the casting sides that were supposedly released online for people who were interested in uh, in auditioning for the role of Clark Kent Superman. Um, they put up pretty much the birthright description as the description for the film, which, as you and I both know, is just their way of uh, <laughs> putting up stuff that uh, you know will work for their auditions but is not something that will actually be the film and is just so that fans uh, don't know exactly what's going on because, you know, these things will leak. If they put up exactly the description of what the movie will be about, it'll get on the internet as it has. Yeah, it's it's one of those things, you know, like I, I don't understand what motivates people to do that, you know, to kind of come up with fake stuff and post it online. It's been happening since, what, 97 with the Star Wars movies and all? <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't get the thrill. It's like, oh, yes, we fooled a bunch of people into believing something that's false, you know? Yeah. I mean, I can Maybe understand it's like, that, So I was going to say, oh, I can understand the studio doing it because obviously they've got to give out information for the acting agents that, you know, but they can't give out information that will actually be, um, you know, leaked that is important. So they put up something that is, um, you know, will will suit their requirements for the audition process, but will not necessarily be 100% true about what's in the film. So I can understand the studio giving us, you know, fake information because um, it's, you know, they don't want it to be released as yet. I don't understand why there are some websites that would uh, put out fake, you know, rumours about... uh, you know, who's going to be cast in the film or uh, what the film's going to be about or what Snyder has said if there is no exact quote from him. You know, it's like, what you know, okay, you're going to get some extra hits to your website, but when you prove to be fake and it proves to be false, then you're just doing your website a disservice and getting a bad reputation for being liars. 
Yeah, I well, I've had a lot of people over the years, you probably get the same thing when people email you, um, just doing the thing where they're like, I want to be in the next Superman movie, or I want to write for the next Superman movie, <laughs> so they'll show you their really, really great script, which, you know, you kind of explain to them, we've seen it 10,000 times, you know, it's not really something we can forward on to the Warner executives, yeah. because they won't even talk to us kind of thing, but... Um, I think it's kind of a, a last-ditch attempt to get your story idea in there, but it's kind of strange because usually they're not incredibly unique takes. It's just there's nothing new under the sun, or like like they even appropriate other people's stuff. Like yeah. maybe we think this one for Birthright might be, you know? <laughs> yeah, it's interesting, but, uh, you know, I mean, we've had, copped our own fair share of criticisms over the years for posting stuff on the website, but we usually get it from either a reliable source or we're posting passing on a rumor that we heard not that we necessarily created we never we haven't ever created a rumor uh, ourselves uh we're talking about rumors that are posted on other websites or that are passed on to us from a reliable source or what we believe to be a reliable source it's always pretty difficult to uh you know to double check these sources uh and whether or not they're uh, 100% correct or you know coming from a position of knowledge right yeah, and, and it's impossible, too, with the Internet. It's kind of weird the way that that's changing everything. It's like you can – you find people using Wikipedia as a source now, but you also find people who insist upon a hard copy and will get mad either way. It's like there's a whole different segment uh, of a society who's committed to one kind of information versus another. But the bottom line being we don't really necessarily know that much until the uh, studio issues a press release. So. And that's the thing. The studios aren't going to pass on information so early in the piece. They'll, yeah. When they're ready to pass on the information, they'll do so in an official capacity with you know, a, a press release, with a trailer, with uh, official you know, photos, whatever it might be. Uh, you know, if they've cast a character, uh, an actor, uh, they might be waiting to cast other cast members, uh, other characters in the movie before announcing uh, you know, who's been cast in a particular role because even though they might think they have a certain personal idea in, in mind, uh, until they say cast Lois Lane, uh, they might not you know be able to see whether or not the actor that they've you know got as their priority for Superman has the same has the right chemistry to work off Lois Lane. You know, so they might say, well, these are the two guys we've got in mind. We'll just see who's got the best chemistry or who's going to look good in the costume. Or you know, there's so many different aspects to casting uh, certain roles. So you know, don't be surprised if there are isn't much information released uh, as quickly as you'd like because the studios hold their cards pretty close to their chest yeah i'm amazed that they're uh, throwing so much effort into uh who's uh, you know that people online are more like who's superman gonna be who's and like last time i don't know if it, like i remember lex luthor's casting being a really bit like who's gonna be lex luthor you know and everybody wanted kevin spacey and they kind of got kevin spacey for the most part but um I was just kind of amused that um, that that they're kind of it's kind of a foregone conclusion that Lex is not going to be in this one from a lot of people, yeah, you know. Yeah. They they're like, oh, is Zod going to come in? You know, I, I I don't see, I can't see a Superman movie without Lex at least being in the background somewhere, you know. It'll be interesting, but uh, as far as some of the casting, some of the car- uh, actors' names who have been thrown around for in the casting rumors, there's uh, Joe Manganiello, Army Hammer, of course, has been you know bandied about quite uh, often and even guys like uh, the wrestlers like John uh, John Cena um, you know I mean Jesus some real you know weird names being thrown out there just because a guy's got muscles and he's six foot four doesn't mean he can play Superman how about the uh, Matthew Good one is that one looking like it might be a potentiality or yeah, does that well, seem you know on the back of what we've heard recently about the casting auditions uh, the casting sides being out there for auditions you know Matthew Good being 
Snyder's top choice or whatever. So, as, as the rumor is saying, you know, sounds kind of a bit, you know, dubious to me. I, you know, CGI to buff him up and build him up so that he can <laughs> play the Superman role, um, as they've done with the Green Lantern movie. You know, there's yeah. rumors out there that people, you know, they've got an element of truth or an element of reality in them, and then. You know, it's just blown out of all proportion. And you know, just take everything you hear with a grain of salt until they have an actual a f- a formal announcement. Yeah. I, you know, I, I would have dismissed it out of hand three months ago before I saw the Green Lantern trailer, the idea of buffing someone up in the movie. And then I saw the, I saw the Green Lantern suit in motion, and I was like, oh, oh they're really going that way, aren't they? <laughs> yeah, well, let's touch on that Green Lantern trailer. Uh, it's not Superman-related necessarily, but it's a DC character, and it's a DC movie. And there aren't many of those at the moment. So, uh, you know, what did you think of the trailer for the Green Lantern movie? You know, I was not blown away, but I tend not to be blown away by trailers lately. Yeah. Um, I think I think if it follows that there was a script that was leaked a while back, um, and I kind of I, I took a look at that, and if it's anything like that, it'll probably be a good movie. I'm guessing they're going to keep it pretty close to the uh, to the comics. Looking at it, you got Hector Hammond, which looked pretty good with yeah. uh, oh, I forget the guy's name, but um, and Sinestro was looking pretty pretty close. But there was that element that all movies seem to have now, where it's like uh, before I could get immersed in the movie because even if it were a, even if it were a special effect, at least it was a real thing blowing up right in front of you and now it's it all seems just really really fake to me like when you see a cartoon dude with a cartoon face just flying around you know you can tell it's cg so that kind of drew me out of getting immersed in the story potentiality but i like the idea of a green lantern movie really quite a bit yeah and it seems to be quite uh massive in scope so much uh you know space um footage in that in that trailer so should be yeah. uh should be interesting uh yeah i i I'm like I'm with you. I don't tend to get too excited by looking at a trailer because it really can, you know. I mean, there's you look at movies. I've, oh, for an example, uh, there was the Russell Crowe Gladiator uh, trailers I was looking at recently, and there were about five or six of them, and each one touched on a different aspect of the film. And if you'd only seen the one that was say like the love story trailer, you'd be going Gladiator, a love story, like you know it was. <laughs> It's you can uh, you can pull out certain scenes in a movie and put them in a trailer and make it sound seem like something totally opposite from what it really is. So uh, yeah. yeah, I wouldn't be reading too much or you know I mean if you love the trailer, great, and you you know go ahead and love the movie. But uh, if you looked at the trailer and were disappointed, I would hold your final judgment until you've actually seen the film. Yeah, and I also think it's important if you're a Superman fan to be watching the Green Lantern movie and how it goes, because as much as it may seem like it won't have anything to do with Superman, um, with the way Hollywood thinks, whether Green Lantern is a flop or a major success could affect the funding of future Superman movies, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, because unfortunately, like Hollywood has that mentality where, oh, Catwoman sucked. So people obviously don't want to see a strong female superhero and they don't realize, you know, it's just a crappy story. That's the problem. <laughs> um, so if Green, Green Lantern tanks, then, uh, it might have dire consequences for Superman. But if it has, if it, if it is just blows everything out of the water, it might fast track Superman. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, you know, just like the way you saw how when Batman, the Dark Knight was such a huge success, you know, every time everyone started coming out saying, "Oh, we need a dark Superman movie." Um, <laughs> you know, so again, Green Lantern 
depending on how it's, uh, whether it succeeds or how it succeeds, uh, could have ramifications for the way the Superman movie looks, not necessarily the way it's the story that it's telling, but, uh, you know, the way that it uh, appears. So, uh, yeah, interesting to see just how Green Lantern does when it comes out in cinemas. Uh, so um, any other movie stuff we wanted to touch on was Superman Shazam, The Return of Black Adam. Did you happen to catch this 22-minute uh, animated short? I have not yet. It's out already? Yes, it's out on DVD. It uh, collects together the other animated shorts that have been released over time, including Green Arrow um, and the others. And I'm always forgetting what the others are. But uh, <laughs> I think Jonah Hex is another one of them. And um, so, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a longer one than the others that were released previous. Uh, but uh, Superman Shazam, The Return of Black Adam, I watched it and I enjoyed it. Uh, you know, it's, it's hard to tell... A story in 22 minutes but it's almost like uh, an episode say of justice league or justice league unlimited in that right. it uh, it tells an origin story about um you know captain marvel and billy batson and and um you know with shazam and with black adam and uh superman is in there as almost like a um a you know, a mentor uh, that somebody that uh, someone that uh, Captain Marvel looks up to, or that Billy Batson looks up to, and uh, the two of them go toe to toe with Black Adam, and uh, it's yeah, it's quite good. I really enjoyed it. Uh, it's uh, you know, it's interesting. It's good to hear George Newbern back again as the voice of Superman, even though I'm a Tim Daly fan. Um, <laughs> it's uh, yeah, I enjoyed it, and uh, it's like I said, it's hard to tell a full story in a 22 minute uh, episode, but uh, it was quite good. Cool. Has it got that uh, that kind of trademark, really, really good action that the uh, DC movies have been having? Yeah, the fight scenes are choreographed really well, and um, you know, Superman gets beaten around, but he also holds his own as well. And uh, as does Captain Marvel, and as does Black Adam. They seem to be three equally matched uh, characters, but obviously the magic element, uh, you know, is what uh, makes Superman a bit vulnerable there. And uh, you know, it's just. It's it's a nice character piece too, you know. Billy Batson really comes through as as a likable character. Nice, yeah. I can't wait to check it out. Actually, I think the only thing that stopped me stopped me was waiting for payday. <laughs> <laughs> so that's Superman Shazam: The Return of Black Adam. Uh, if I had to give it a rating out of five, I'd probably give it a four. Cool. So there you go. Sounds good. All right, let's move into talking about uh, Smallville. Uh, we've had a couple of episodes air since our last podcast. Uh, first off, the rank I've got here on my list was. Uh, was Ambush, the episode with Sam and Lucy Lane. Uh, let's see. That's a, that's the one that basically uh, they had Clark running around doing everything on a list for the most part, right? <laughs> um, yeah, that yeah. was, uh, was, that he, was one of the – there so, was some weird – oh, sorry. No, I was just going to say the, the thing about that list that I found interesting was a nice twist at the end that, it say, that from Sam Lane saying, you know, it wasn't necessarily a list for you, Clark, to see whether you could do it. It's whether or not Lois was – you know, would uh, – it was more a test for Lois to see whether or not she would come through and back up the person that I gave this list to because yeah. you know, it's such an impossible list and even though you've actually succeeded at doing it, it's whether or not Lois would see you as being um, you know, someone that she wanted to come to, to bat for, someone that she wanted to protect and say, hey, hang on, this is, you know, you're, you're doing this guy a disservice. I really love him. 
Yeah, it's kind of weird. They kind of shoehorn these weird concepts into these episodes, and yet there's these things that I've been that I've been looking for in the show since season three. You know, that kind of start showing up on their own. You get uh, Lucy Lane, and you know she's not skiing downhill, uh, you know, <laughs> fighting international spies or whatever. But she's you know like she still randomly tries to kiss Clark to take her away from yeah. Lois for whatever reason. And yeah. there's lots of arbitrary drama. Um, but there's also some stuff that's straight out of Superman in there when you got sam lane and 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 his bristling reaction to clark that suddenly kind of over the course of time for forms into a begrudging respect you know and and you're like oh hey that's that's actually uh the character i know and love and then they're like but i'm still gonna do the vigilante registration act just to shoehorn it into the larger <laughs> plot you know it's it's unfortunate but there's a lot of i i think this has been the best lois lane clark kent um season that there's been and it and it seems kind of like almost like a superman show if that makes sense in in terms of just lois and clark plainly lois and clark yeah. clark when he's being a hero not at all in my opinion but like just the lois and clark relationship has been pretty spot on which is pretty crazy but unfortunately it's a larger part of or a smaller part of the larger whole so yeah that's the thing the uh, the episode main story doesn't hasn't really tickled my fancy so much i mean that whole you know thing with those uh, patriots you know in their in their big truck trailer thing and you know trying to blow up sam lane and these you know massive icons on their screen showing where sam lane is and <laughs> showing where clark is and you know all that whole you know vigilante act thing kind of was secondary to me to the relationship between clark and lois and and sam and uh, you know general sam lane and and the whole character parts of it were really good but the story parts of it that you know supposedly the action, you know, the main plot, uh, yeah, didn't really do it for me in that particular episode uh, spe- specifically. But uh, the character moments with Clark and Lois and the way that their relationship is, is growing and, and pre- um, proceeding is, uh, is quite interesting and, uh, you know, is really, uh, you know, hitting the ball out of the park for me. Yeah, Abandon was pretty much the same. I had the same feeling. Like, when I watched the moment with Terry Hatcher and, and Lois crying, for instance, or the mm-hmm. jor and Lara moment, yep. if, if you just look at it completely out of context, they're great scenes. Exactly. But then you throw it into the framework, and you're like, what the hell? You know, like, I didn't, I couldn't care less about Granny Goodness or why she has this weird, th- why she's been on Earth for so long and has never done anything, and why she, you know, or, or even, you know, the quote-unquote twist, Tess is really, you know, Lex's sister, um, you know, yeah. but... Um, but the, the the character moments when they focus on character, they're they're actually trying to do something, and I wish they would just cut out everything else and do the character <laughs> stuff, you know? Yeah, well, exactly. That's just, you know, abandoned was the same thing. Uh, the whole Granny Goodness, uh, Tess Mercer story, kind of, you know, with all the Furies and female Furies, it kind of to me was, you know, secondary to yeah the terry hatcher part with uh being you know ella lane with with showing the tapes to lois and yeah. the Jarrell and lara showing up with uh with lois at the fortress and you know clark seeing the final moments of his parents life you know sending him off to earth and realizing that Jarrell is not some you know uh i was going to say uh something nasty there but uh <laughs> you know it those moments were really touching and really well played and the whole you know granny goodness was well cast don't get me wrong i liked uh, the way the character was played, but I didn't like the way that they put her, shoehorned her into the world of Metropolis. And I think where they're going with that is that these three people, Granny Goodness, um, Gordon Godfrey and uh, Desaad, are actually three people on Earth who are being changed or who have been marked 
to be changed, you know, to become the unholy trinity, as they called themselves. Um, yeah. Because God- Godfrey was just a radio uh, disc jockey who, uh, you know, was bad-mouthing the, the superheroes and has now been, you know, changed over by Darkseid to be one of his, you know, uh, minions. But uh, and so supposedly Granny Goodness was the same thing and supposedly Desaad uh, as well. So, yeah, you know, that's just smallvilizing the, uh, the the dark side characters, I suppose. That's just their way of, just like they did with Doomsday. They made him, you know, somebody on Earth who changed into Doomsday. Um, yeah. But so they're doing the same thing with uh, Darkseid's three uh, big baddies. You could you could quite literally, for the most part, um, take any character, any villain in uh, in the Superman canon, and take all of these episodes. And if you made the characters say the other villain's name instead of Darkseid, or if you you know if you exchanged the villains, there would be no difference in storyline because Smallville makes no real distinction in this area. You could say Darkseid, or you could say Doomsday, and it would still be the ominous threat that is greater than anything that he's ever faced before that he will face at the end of the season and everybody just kind of knows this and it's just there's no thought put into it except for how can we get more people who like comics to watch this and it's like okay well let's have an ally appear this episode who will we pick that he's never visited before how about zatanna all right well you know zatanna speaks backwards and she does magic but that's inconvenient to the plot so let's just make her speak backwards once and the rest of the time she'll just be kind of like this harlot for ratings you know what i mean (laughs) um and with granny goodness it's the same thing it's like granny goodness is she's on apocalypse she has her furies but now all of a sudden well let's just have a a creepy story where where tess remembers something from her childhood and let's shoehorn granny goodness in there or you know, let's do a Sam and Lucy Lane story, but we want to do this VRA thing or, yeah, the VRA thing. And so let's let's just throw that in there anyway. And, you know, and they don't really they don't really care about it. But but at least they're showing some attention to the character, which is the important thing. Patriot was kind of the same way. It's like, hey, we're just going to have uh, Aquaman appear because that'll make people happy. But there was nothing really aquaman about it. You don't really, you know. No, well, learn they... too much about Aquaman other than oh now he's married to Mira why hey yeah. who cares he she's there and she's naked you know <laughs> yeah and she's uh, they've kind of reverted to his uh, Atlantean heritage now they're saying that yeah. he's realised what his real origin are what his real origin is and she keeps calling him Orin and you know and you know everyone's going who's like he's got how many names has the one character got they call him Aquaman yeah. AC Arthur Orin. <laughs> and the point is, it doesn't matter as long as you're watching and they're making money. And know? as long as there's lots of skin showing. Mm-hmm. I mean, how I many? Uh, we had AC with his shirt off. We had Green Arrow with his shirt off. We had Mira with uh, her zipper only halfway done up. Uh, oh, she took her she took her clothes off right in front of Lois. It's like, <laughs> hey, you know, let's not appeal to the fourteen year old boy. And you know, I got no problem seeing Lois running around in leather. But you know, there was some twisted stuff going on there. You know, you're like watching this, and you're like, what would a fourteen year old watching this come away from this thinking? You know what I mean? And it's not like I'm like, oh well, they can't show that. I'm not a Puritan. But at the same time, I'm thinking, you know, these are kind of sacred characters. Show a little respect. You know, it's like if you want to cover something like that in a story. It's not going to bother me. I'm not one to say don't tell that in a story. But at, at the same time, there are certain lines. You know, if you got Superman running around with dollars in his in his banana hammock, you know what I mean? You know, <laughs> it's not it's not really it's not that it's inappropriate. It's just not what you do. Yeah. <laughs> you know. And they did the same thing with Patriot. It had those moments where it was 
you know, it was gold with Lois being introduced to the to the watchtower and even the, the test Lois scenes, you know, where they're kind of playing, yeah. not really knowing if the other person knows Clark's secret. You know, they're, yeah. they're great character moments. And uh, again, it's shoehorned into this, you know, uh, AC and Mira have gone back to being, you know, uh, they've regressed in a way because they've gone back to blowing things up. And then Clark tells them, don't blow things up. Uh, hello, <laughs> you just blew up two towers last season. You know, I mean, yeah. you know, it, there's a lot of inconsistency there. I think I think it was the worst A to B. Patriot had the worst A to B thing I think I've ever seen in Smallville, though. That part where they basically he's standing there in a kryptonite cage, facing down Slade, and then the whole thing explodes. And then after the commercial, he's just, well, I guess everything's all right, isn't it? You know, talking with Green Arrow. That was like the biggest. I, I don't know if that's the biggest logical jump in the whole series, that's, but it was pretty darn bad. You know, yeah, it's there like there was a lot of off-screen stuff that you just didn't know. I mean, how did Slade get out, and why was he only injured in one eye? You know, if it was a massive explosion, yeah. And uh, yeah, how did Clark get out with uninjured? Or, you know, there was kryptonite around him. Okay, he seemed to be standing up to it pretty well. Maybe it wasn't full-on blowing-out kryptonite. But, yeah, it's just one explosion. The next thing, he's off in back in the barn and wherever else, or in the watchtower like or whatever. And then uh, Slade's getting a, a big whopping eye patch on his face. What was what was that episode, the Halloween one, like where, uh, they, where he got affected by blue kryptonite again? Yeah. And then... You know, he gets slashed with a scythe and then and then throw and buried alive. Yep. You know, so it's like if you're a, if you have no powers, you can't breathe through dirt. And then all of a sudden, boom, he's just back up out of the ground and alive. You know, it's like they they just kind of have really given up on the Deus Ex now. You know. Yeah. But, but uh, anyway. We've, anyway, those are the three episodes that uh, we uh, hadn't touched on. Well, you know, since it had aired since the last uh, podcast. Uh, upcoming episodes, we've got Return of Lionel Luthor. And an alternate Earth, uh, where uh, he's Clark Luthor. I mean, why would he name him Clark? Um, let's hope that's uh, that's explained. Um, <laughs> and we've got Icarus with uh, Hawkman and Stargirl both coming back. That sounds like it could be interesting. I'm worried that the Luthor one will be the same thing they've done all through the thing. It's like where Clark doubts himself, so now he has to go to a world where he's where everything is wrong because he doubted himself. You know. And then it's resolved about two-thirds of the way through, and then everything is fine. And it's just going to—it'll uh, it, shoehorn Lionel Luthor in, I'm guessing. And it'll probably just forget everything that was ever developed about his character and just be like, hey, look, Lionel's back, you know, like they did with Lucy. You know, there was no mention of the past at all, you know? Yeah, well, I think Lionel's in this one because this is—Clark somehow travels to an alternate Earth yeah. where Lionel finds him rather than the Kents finding his spaceship. So yeah. it'll be interesting to see. I mean, I think Lionel's still dead in our reality, don't get me wrong. I think right. it's, this is an alternate reality where uh, he found Clark, or he found Kal-El, and decided to call him Clark and raise him as his own. So it'll be interesting. It's going to be amazing. See. I'm going to wonder what happened to Lex, you know? <laughs> it's like, Lex, just, Lex went off to boarding school because I like Clark more. <laughs> you know, it's like, you're not going to have Rosenbaum, so what are you well, going to do? But... Maybe Lex uh, died in the cornfields and Lionel never picked him up after he lost That's right, yeah. He <laughs> was too busy wiping Clark's nose. <laughs> All right, so that's Smallville, and uh, we uh, obviously have uh, a marriage proposal coming up. Yes. Uh, you know, cause they've hinted at that. Clark's got the ring, and... You know, when uh, Ella Lane was, you know, saying, oh, if you end up with somebody and blah, 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 blah. And, uh, you know, we, we it's pretty much a given that Clark is going to propose to Lois. And I'm guessing they're going to 
you know, do all this thing where he's about to propose and then something happens and they get distracted and they get, you know, mm-hmm. and he has to put it off until another time. And it's going to probably go over a couple of episodes until he actually finally gets down on one knee and asks her to marry him. They'll probably, uh, you know, I, I can see them being married in the finale. That's yeah. just, you know, and it's, are they really going to do that? Are they really going to go where every show goes and have a marriage in the finale? Um, but I guess they are. And and um, <laughs> I'll bet you it, it, it's just, it's so Smallville to have Clark and Lois married before he's even put on the glasses or is flying. <laughs> You know, it's like, uh, what else is left for them to step on? Oh. Is there, I, I can't even, they keep thinking of new ways to surprise me. <laughs> but uh, let's wait and see how that pans out. Whether we do see a wedding or not before the series fi- uh, finishes off, uh, it remains to be seen. But um, yeah, there's a lot of people point, a lot of, a lot of things pointing to the final episode being a, a wedding, but uh, let's hope not. Yeah. <laughs> All right, let's move on to talking about the comic books and the uh you know the probably the most disappointing thing out of this whole month that since we last recorded Radio KL was learning that JMS decided uh sorry I run out of time. Yeah, Superman Earth 1 was such a success. Uh they want me to do a sequel <laughs> to it. Um yeah, I'm happy to do that, but you know my my calendar's full. If I'm doing that, I'll have to drop doing the grounded story in the Superman monthly titles, the story that I was, you know, being a big, it was a big announcement, JMS coming to Superman, uh, going to do a year-long trip across America, walking across America, but, you know, five months into it, sorry, I'm, I'm out of here. Hubris. <laughs> yeah, um, it's, it's really something that has disgusted me to no end, and not because I don't understand why it happened, and not because it's something that... I didn't kind of expect to a degree, and Superman Earth-1 was a success, even if I wasn't incredibly fond of it, and it makes sense to shift your energies into something that's successful. I think it's more just the kind of attitude that Superman is something, you know, eh, if I got other things I'm going to be doing, I'm going to be doing them. You know, Superman is the first, the greatest, the most important superhero that's come out of comics, and it's not something you casually throw away. It's not something, you know, and, and also it shouldn't come I, second. Yeah. Well, beyond that, I, I, I read a number of interviews trying to trying to understand Straczynski's rationale and trying to trying to be cool with it. Um, but every interview I read was like, well, I came, I saw, I kicked some, uh, some butt and now I'm leaving. Um, you know, or like, uh, like now I've revitalized Superman and now I've revitalized Wonder Woman. So I'm going to move on to something else. Um, or, you know, the thing that, the thing that irked me the most was when he was like, well, you know, I, uh, I was initially going to have all these books out on time, but I started doing earth one and then they asked me to do Superman and Wonder Woman. So I did it and I found out I didn't have enough time. Well, you know, that's not their fault. That is, they didn't say, you know, Hey, you have to do this or we're going to put a bullet in your head. You know, it was, it was, you said I would do this. And then you went and you did a great big bunch of press saying, Hey, this is going to be the best thing since sliced bread. Check it out. I'm going to change Superman, which is, you know, what engendered our uh, kind of distaste for the run to begin with. Um, But now he has abandoned his project, handed it off to other writers and is going to do his own thing, which is very 
at least from here, it looks incredibly selfish. And I, for one, won't be buying Superman Earth 1 when it comes out again. And I, for one, am dropping my comics. And that that's something that I've threatened about and hinted about for years. But really, this is the first time I'm dropping Superman comics since 1991. Um, and that's that's a big thing. And I'm not doing it just because of what Straczynski did. I've, I've done it because of this continued pattern of people saying, you know what? I'm just going to put this guy on Superman and we'll hope it works. We'll do drive-by storylines. We won't worry about continuity. We're just going to do what sells. That attitude's not going to work for me anymore. And Straczynski is not the man who's culpable for this. It's a long series of people who have done this and walked away, and a lot of editors and a lot of editors-in-chiefs who have let this happen and continue again and again and again. It drives me nuts. And I, I know that they are they, they made lots of in-good-faith attempts to keep the books on time. They've made lots of good faith attempts to make the books vital again. They're constantly reimagining things. You've got the new Superboy 1 coming out. But when it comes down to it, at the end of the day, they're failing. They're not taking their responsibility seriously enough to make this happen. And it's lost their longest – one of their longest readers that they've got. I'm sure there are a ton of people out there who were there for the Silver Age and probably a couple old farts who were there for the Golden Age. But – Right now, their core audience are the group of aging nerds like me who need to be kept assuaged, and we are no longer assuaged, you know? Yeah, yeah I, I think it's uh, very disappointing. Um, I think the biggest problem is they keep doing these long, drawn-out arcs that are supposedly for a year or more, and people are going, well, three issues in, if this is not catching my attention, then why am I going to stick around for another nine months? Uh, I think what they need to go back to is self-contained stories that are you know, one issue, two issue, three issue at the most, instead of these long, drawn-out arcs. I mean, 12 months of Superman walking across America only to have the writer who, whose idea it was jump ship is not really uh, you know, breeding a lot of confidence for Superman fans. Um, I, you know, I won't drop the books, but um, it's, very, it's very disappointing the way that, you know, the angle they're taking, the way things have been handled. I mean, I really like Matt Idelson. He's a great guy, and he's been really great to the Superman homepage. Uh, but I think just what's going on over there and the, and the attitude that's happening towards Superman and the Superman titles is very disappointing. Um, I'm sick of the writers and the artists being treated as special or more special than the character itself. You know, let's let's pay the character its dues. He's been around for 70-plus years. These writers and artists are going to be gone, uh, come and gone, uh, you know, within 10, 20, 30 years. But uh, the Superman character will keep going, and, you know, these writers will go on to other different things. But the but people who follow Superman follow the character, not necessarily the writers or the artists. Yes, there are people who I'll follow. You know, if Jeff Johns is a great writer, I might go on and read other stuff that he's done. But really... You know, if if Jeff Johns has gone on and written Green Lantern, I'm not reading Green Lantern at the moment. Jeff Johns go out and write Flash. I'm not reading Flash. I'm a Superman fan, and I'm reading Superman books, regardless of who is writing or who is drawing. Um, yes, there are people that I enjoy watching their art or looking at their art and reading their stories. You know, people like Dan Jurgens come to mind. But uh, you know, if they're not writing Superman, I don't go follow them. I'm here for Superman, and if these people who are coming on to the character just can you know, hand him off willy-nilly and go and read, write and draw something else, then they're not the people that I want doing Superman. I want people who 
see Superman as being something that they want to aspire to write and that when they get that chance, they'll hold on to it and give it their best, not just ditch it at the first sign of something better coming along because Superman should be the best and the best that there is for them to, uh, to aspire to. And at the moment, that's not the case. Yeah, at the moment, it's gimmick after gimmick after gimmick. And, and at, on the one hand, there was kind of a nice little run there where it went from one year later and you've got the bullpen back, you've got Lois Clark and Superman, and then that kind of diverged because of Brainiac. And that was, you know, an adventure, which was cool. And then you pop into New Krypton, which was even a cool concept. And you went the, you know, new new Krypton and then the War of the Superman kind of overstayed its uh, welcome a little bit by probably a couple of months, maybe six months even. Um, or maybe, you know, more, probably more like three months. Um, but then instead of building on that and culminating in something, it kind of just became, you know, all right, now we're going back to what we did when it was four different creators, four different directions, no no cohesion at all. Um, when you could have something like, like Chuck, Chuck, uh, Chuck Austin basically, uh, saying, I'm going to pop your head like a zit on one hand, you know, and then you've got like, say the, the work of Greg Ruck on the other hand, you know what I mean? And, and you've got, you've got character driven stuff next to, I'm going to, next to the, to the version of Superman who throws the spousal abuser across the room and threatens to kill him. Um, and it's just been inconsistent. Uh, and, and and it seems like they're trying to make him into something that's popular um, into some, instead of something that's well written and they don't realize that Superman is already so popular that if you you know if you if you have a Superman tattoo people will trust you or if you're wearing a Superman shirt kids will run up to you and say hey Superman even if you've got a scruffy beard like me you know what I mean the yeah. character does not need to be more popular yeah. the character needs to be written well. All right. Well, uh, that's that's it. Is disappointing, and you know, I guess there's all we can do is is moan about it and 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 complain. But um, and you know, and doing what you're doing, if you're not really enjoying the books, and drop them and don't pay for them anymore, and that will hit the pockets, and that will hit the sales, and they'll realize, hey, what we're doing is wrong. I hate to say that. Uh, I hate to see Superman books drop down in the sales, but um, you know, you got to vote with your wallets if you're not enjoying it. Yeah, and. It, it's kind of weird because you see Superman Earth One, and I'm half convinced that it sold because of the novelty of the thing, as opposed to necessarily the story itself. Um, because people really do like the idea of a self-contained story in a exactly. trade. The, jo- the Joker story did 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 a really great thing too. Um, you do anything new in comics, like if you were to create a motion comic, I'll bet you that would do well. You know, like anything new, people are interested in and will look at. But um, to go from event to event, uh, to event, or sales trick to sales trick, instead of just selling good stories in the long term, it's a zero sum game, I guess. Yeah, like I mean, right now, you know, like what are they gonna? Oh, Doomsday is coming back. Well, gee, hmm, I wonder if he's gonna kill Superman or almost kill Superman. You know? Um, <laughs> yeah. See, that's the thing with Super- Superman Earth One. The reason it sold well is because people can go to the store or go to the... And this was published, you know, not just in comic stores. I'm thinking it's available in other bookstores as well. They can go and pick up this book and know they're going to get a self-contained story. Okay, it's going to cost them X amount of dollars and it's a hardcover and it's a pretty special thing to go buy. But it's a self-contained story. They don't need to know anything more than what's in that from cover to cover. And that's 
what attracts people because you look at the Superman comics at the moment and there's a lot of convoluted continuity and that people don't know where he's coming from or what's going on and they don't want to have to go buy back three issue three years of issues to you know to catch up on the current storyline if that's the case so uh, yeah I can understand why Superman Earth One sold really well and you know whether you like the story or not it was a self-contained story that was accessible yeah. And it's it's one of those things I, I can understand why they would do that. And if they did that again and again and again, more power to them. Um, I just don't like the idea of sacrificing the main monthly books. Well, that's the thing. That. They could make the monthly books self-contained stories like sure. they used to be. There's no reason you can't go. I mean, you, if you go back to the Silver Age, and I don't want to harken back to you know make it sound like I'm an old fogey or anything, but if you go back to the Silver Age and you pick up a comic <laughs> from the 1960s or the 1970s or whatever – you can pick up that story and read it and enjoy it, and you don't have to find issue the previous issue or the issue after that to kick to to continue reading that story. It's self-contained, and it might entice you to pick up another comic. And if you do pick up that other comic, you'll be able to read a story within those pages and totally understand where that story is. This whole twelve issue arc or 12, twenty-four issue miniseries or whatever it might be is not doing the sales any any good. You know, people want to pick up a comic and be able to read a story and understand it from the beginning to the end, and not have to pick up another twelve issues to be able to follow it on. Yeah, and you know, there's it, it doesn't have to be that cheesy silver agey one issue where everything is told you know it could do be two issues or three issues or it could even be an event you know like a six issue event. Um, but you know, with clearly defined consequences that, that travel into the next story that's referential to the stuff that came before instead of just bang, you know, like here, two, here, here's two lines of lip service to a uh, new Krypton. Oh, I guess that's over now On to the next thing, you know, yeah. which is why I think trade paperbacks are doing so well in sales because people say, at least I know that what's, what I'm picking up here is a self-contained story. Yes, it's going to cost. You'll have to wait a couple of months for it to be published. You know, other than you know, rather than pick up the monthly titles, but I don't care because I'm getting a self-contained story. I don't have to hunt down issues or cross references or you know, it's all contained in this tra- trade paperback, and that's why that's, they're doing so well. And, and writers are writing for trades these days, supposedly. Yeah. Well, that's that's why uh, I believe Green Lantern has done so well. Not necessarily the strength of the events, but the lead-in to the events. It's the same thing that made Infinite Crisis good. All of the books felt like they were culminating and building towards something, as opposed to an event where it's just an event because Grant Morrison says it's an event. Um, like, for instance, you'd get the Rage of the Red Lantern series, which was six issues that explained who the Red Lanterns were and put them in a context that you could read going into Black Knight, but you didn't need to know who the heck they were in order to read Black Knight or The Sins of the Star Sapphire. They were little short three to six issue chunks that told a good story and led into something larger. Whereas if you look at Superman, you've got Wonk, which was a good 12 issue series that led into something larger, um, but they didn't really exploit it very well. And then you had uh, the Nightwing and Flamebird thing, which was basically culminated by them whacking one of the characters and then forgetting the other, unfortunately. And then you had the Monel thing where it was just like, well, I'm going back to the future. Sorry, you know, um, nothing built from it at all. They were just kind of solo stories out there, forgotten, disregarded by the next people. That's, you know, that's probably a lot of it but um you know none of the other characters are being as successful as green lantern right now because they don't find a cohesive thing to build to and fight for it you know yeah well let's quickly touch on 
The other, you mentioned Doomsday's coming back in 2011. We don't know what that's going to be about, but we're, it, it, it's piqued our interest. And Superboy number one uh, came out this month, and it's good to see Connor get his own t- uh, comic book monthly and set in Smallville. And it seems to, you know, I read the first issue, and you know, I'd never read Superboy comics before. I'd never been a big fan of the character, but I thought I'd pick up the first issue. And, you know, it's, uh, I'll probably be picking up the, the next couple to see just exactly where they, they go with this, where Jeff Lemire takes Superboy uh, for his own monthly title. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm, I'm interested to check it out. I'll probably take a look at it when I go to the store and see what's going on. Okay, now the Superman Shield Awards, the 2010 Shield Awards, our 10th annual Shield Awards. It's our uh, awards for the, uh, the world of Superman, both comic books, uh, Smallville, and uh, other products and, and, and items that are out in the year 2010. Uh, the voting is open now for if you want to vote on our 15 categories. You know, there's things like uh, best Smallville episode for season nine. There's, uh, you know, best comic book cover, best writer, uh, best product, all these different things, all the 15 different categories. Uh, get your votes in by December 8th, and you could go into the draw to win a $100 gift certificate from supermansuperstore.com. So uh, get into our 10th annual Shield Awards. Yeah, sounds good. There's there's a big, you know, it's there's a lot of things to look at this year, you know, yeah. like a lot of different things that came out. I don't know if there was anything that really stuck out like, whoa, but there was a lot of different stuff and it's going to be a tight it's going to be a tough field. Yeah, definitely. So, have a look at the 15 different categories and vote on the 2010 Shield Awards to let the world of Superman know what you enjoyed, what you didn't enjoy, and we do pass on those results to DC Comics and Warner Brothers and the various people involved to let them know how the fans voted on our particular 15 categories to uh, show what, uh, what hit, the, hit the mark with you guys. So uh, get involved in the 2010 Shield Awards at the Superman homepage. To finish off with our discussion topics is wishing Noel Neal a very happy 90th birthday. Uh, the First Lady of Metropolis, the original Lois Lane, uh, who's very dear to our hearts, uh, yes. is uh, celebrating her 90th birthday and uh, you know, much love to her. That is such an awesome occasion. I'm so glad because, you know, she's just, uh, she's always been really kind to us. And every time we go anywhere, like when I was there with you in Metropolis or just when I traveled around the United States just doing the cons, she would always talk for a long time. She was never, she's not one of those people who is just kind of like, I'm a star. I did this. You know, she was, she's the most accessible person on the face of the planet and and the kindest, nicest lady I've encountered in my travels. And I'm just so glad. I hope it's a great birthday for her, and I hope she has a really great time. Yet, uh, November 25th, Noelle Neal, uh, a lady dear to my heart. She's uh, I've met her a couple of times now, and she's just such a lovely lady, as you said. So accessible and so down to earth. And just uh, you just want to reach out and hug her whenever you see her. She's just so nice. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, she hasn't been in the greatest health uh, in recent months. She... Uh, broke a hip or and uh, had to have an operation and is recovering well she does a limp with uh, a walk with a noticeable limp at the moment but um we believe that she's recovering well and you know we just send out so much love to her and wish her all the best on her 90th birthday on november 25th and beyond yeah you guys go onto the site and there's a birthday card everybody better sign that or i'm gonna come find you <laughs> <laughs> so happy birthday noel neil start with the big question the big question now uh, last month's question what did we have 
Oh, we had, uh, what are your thoughts about Zack Snyder directing the Superman movie? And as I recall, we thought we'd get absolutely no responses at all, right? <laughs> well, we did uh, get quite a few responses. Uh, who was first cab off the rank? Uh, we got uh, J.R. Lopez, who wrote, Right now it is difficult to know if Snyder is the correct one for the job because the pre- because of the previous movies he has directed. The good? Snyder will deliver action scenes. The people behind this movie, producers and writers, are some of the best in Hollywood. The bad? Snyder's previous comic movies were directed at adaptations of actual comics. This one won't be. All I have, all in all, I have high hopes for this movie. Yeah, well, uh, Rick James wrote... I'm really looking forward to seeing what Zack Snyder will do with Superman. The violence of his past films like Dawn of the Dead and 300 may not fit quite the tone of Superman, but I really do think that with his flair for suspense and thrills that we might actually see Superman face something he never has on film before, a truly menacing threat that puts him at a real risk and actually shows us what a selfless hero Superman is in the face of such terrifying danger, up, up and away. Nice. Daniel wrote, I'm warming up to Zack Snyder. I was leery because of his previous comic book films, but those were literal translations of their graphic novels. This Superman movie isn't supposed to be based on any specific comic. Or comic. With talents like Goyer and Nolan developing the script, I think we'll get a fresh take, and I think Snyder will bring something to the table that Superman fans have wanted for, the while, for a while. A real evil villain who poses a threat. Yeah. Yeah, interesting. Well, uh, Calvin Bowes wrote, The selection of this director scares the heck out of me. I did see Watchmen and liked the film, but it was incredibly dark and violent. I don't want them going in this direction. Superman is positive and very anti-violent, and all these people want to make him what he is not. What I want is a fun and idealistic film. I want to walk out of the theatre smiling, not depressed. Yeah, well, <laughs> you know, just because a director has done a specific type of film before doesn't necessarily mean that he's going to go in that direction again. Um, yeah, he likes the violent action scenes, but uh, let's remember that this is a movie that written by somebody else. Uh, so, you know, there might not be any violence in the script written by Goya. So let's wait and see. But, uh, yeah, fair enough. Uh, I believe uh, next we have Starla Bose, Calvin's daughter. Absolutely. She wrote, I have not seen any of this guy's stuff, but my daddy told me he makes very, very violent films that I'm not able to see. <laughs> yeah, well, keep the, keep those eyes closed, Starla. <laughs> so I'm afraid they will make a Superman movie my daddy won't let me see. That's the problem. Wasn't Superman created for us kids first and foremost? So why do they feel they need to make stuff girls like me are not allowed to see? Superman is my hero, too. Please give me something I can watch, too. I can only, I guess, in response to that, offer the hope that it will be like that. But I'm pretty sure I would bet I would bet eating this microphone in front of me that they would not make a Superman movie that you couldn't watch. If they do, though, rest assured, Starla, we will, we will come after them with both double dukes. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm, I'm, surely it will have an M rating uh, for 15 plus. So uh, let's uh, we'll wait and see. Uh, yeah. Sarita Luna. <laughs> Wrote, hey, Stephen Neal, I literally literally cringed when I read the news. To be honest, I was leaning toward Robert Zemeckis. Back to the future, hello. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, alas, it wasn't meant to be, and I accept that. Another thing uh, that has me on the edge is that Snyder seems to prefer a dark tone for his movies, both in content and cinematography. Watchmen and 300 had a very distracting and grainy aspect to them that are not at all Superman. Hopefully Snyder will discover the joys of natural lighting before filming begins. (laughs) (laughs) Well, at least you don't have the lens flares of Star Trek, you know? (laughs) Fair comment. Yeah. Zachary Cole wrote, Like many, I was surprised to see Snyder tapped to direct Superman. His past movies were grim and violent. Even though I enjoyed Watchmen, the movie seemed to overdo the violence found in the graphic novel. That and his past comments about not getting the character worry me. Snyder's signatures as a character, heavy use of slow motion, video game fight scenes, and murky lighting don't scream Superman to me. I just hope Nolan, Goyer, and Snyder have a clear vision for the character. 
Yeah, there's some uh, valid valid comments there, val- valid worries. But uh, Kyle Benning writes, I agree with Neil that Zach's previous work on comic films has been on dark comics and that that shouldn't be the tone for a Superman movie. However, both of them, especially 300, were pretty successful and has done a great job adapting the films from the comic media to film while maintaining the same tone. So I think he can do that successfully with Superman as well. I would rather have a director familiar with the genre, even if it's a darker wing of it, than someone new to it entirely. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Guthrie McLean wrote, I disliked Watchmen. However, I liked the action sequences and comic book feel. In fact, when I first saw the movie a year ago, I was thinking it was so legendarily directed despite the story. I felt like some of those characters had a resemblance to the Justice League and that it almost felt like a JLA movie, but I wished Superman was in it, and I was wishing Snyder would direct Superman in the same style almost except the story with the same intense action scenes and heroic moments and casting. Yep, well, uh, action scenes are definitely what uh, Snyder is good at, so let's wait and see whether or not they're in Goya's script. But our new big question for next month is uh, comic book-based, and we're asking you, what do you think about J. Michael Straczynski leaving the monthly Superman books? How do you feel about it? Let us know. Get involved in the Big Question segment of the show by clicking on the Big Question button found at the Superman homepage and send your entry in. You can send it as an email, which we will read out, as Neil and I have just done, or you can record an audio response and send it in as an MP3 file, which we will play in the next Radio KAL podcast. From the shores of Metropolis... What is that? We've got to warn the others. To the heart of Gotham City... Robin, seal the cave. I'm on it. To the mighty skyline of New York. We've got to evacuate. We'll never make it in time. Earth's greatest heroes will face a living nightmare as those they've sworn to protect fall. The winds of change blow in as Insolatus begins in Superman, The Last Son of Krypton, issue 71, on November 24, 2010, only at PendantAudio.com. Bailey's Bookshelf. Oh, Bailey! Yes, Michael Bailey returns for another month with another trade paperback review. So let's hand over to Michael now and see what he has for us. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to Bailey's Bookshelf, a segment here on Radio KAL, where I walk over to the bookcase, pick out a Superman trade, hardcover, or novel to discuss, and tell you all why you should read it, or in some cases shouldn't read it, but that's not the case this month. This month, I have chosen Superman, Strange Attractors, which reprints nearly all of Gail Simone's run on Action Comics. I was very excited back in the day when it was announced that Gail Simone was taking over uh, the writing chores of Action Comics from Chuck Austin, and that's not really a shot at Chuck Austin, because as much as I didn't really care for his run on Action Comics, I I didn't absolutely hate it either. I, I make jokes about this, but, but I really didn't despise it, you know, it, it, I, I didn't want it to burn in the fire of a thousand suns or anything like that. But by this point, I was a pretty big fan of Gail's writing, and the fact that she was coming on Superman with John Byrne, I mean, this was, I, was, I was just beside myself with excitement. The final result was a really solid run of Superman, and it's kind of a shame that she seemed to be brought on to kind of fill the space before Infinite Crisis, because I thought she had a really solid handle 
on Clark and Lois and Superman and his world, and she tried to explore some of the more emotional parts of that world in a, you know, big, fun comic book sort of way, whereas Greg Rucka over in Adventures was doing kind of the dirty, gritty, realistic take on Superman. Gale was firmly in the superhero genre, and I really appreciated that. You know, some of the better parts of her run, I I have to say, is the Black Adam fight. Uh, By this point, I had become firmly a Black Adam fan, thanks to Jeff Johns and JSA, and to see him and Superman throwing down was was a lot of fun. I, I, I have to say, though, there's a moment uh, where Superman is trying to uh, take Dr. Psycho into custody, and Black Adam's like, no, you can't have him, because Black Adam was part of the society, as was Psycho, and Superman you know, steps forward and Black Adam says, stand down, Kryptonian, and Superman keeps at it, because, well, he's Superman, and, and that's when Black Adam punches him in the face yelling once again stand down kryptonian and i all i could hear in my head was ed harris from the movie the rock when he's telling his uh captain to stand down it's like stand down captain i was like oh this is so awesome god i loved it um i liked the story with the Queen of Fables, mainly because, if I'm remembering correctly, she was a character that Gail Simone suggested to Mark Wade to use in JLA, and now she was getting a chance to play with the character. I liked that quite a bit as well. Um, the only part I really didn't like, and I hesitate to say that I didn't like it, because it really wasn't a bad story, is that Simone was the one that brought Livewire from the animated universe into the regular DC universe. And I am not a fan of Livewire at all. Um, I really don't like that episode of the animated series, and I found the character to be obnoxious. And, frankly, uh, the fact that I had to fight her, quote-unquote, on the Superman Shadow of Apocalypse PlayStation 2 game... Uh, brought a level of joy to me that I really shouldn't have had because it was like I got to get all of my aggression and dislike of the character out on this pixelated form of her. So, not really healthy, but, you know, it is what it is. So, that was like the only down point. Um, There is another story in here written by Dan Abnett and Andy Lanning that involved uh, Lord Satanus, excuse me, that Simone didn't write, and I liked that story as well. And this is a pretty solid little trade, too. It, it, it Since all of the Superman titles were kind of following their own track at the time, it reads very well together. Right in the middle, though, you have a, a thing about Sacrifice, which was the crossover between the, the then three titles that had Superman under the sway of Maxwell Lord and the famous scene of Wonder Woman killing him. So there's an explanation of that, but that's kind of like the only hiccup. You can pick up this trade and get a good, solid 
eight or ten issues of Superman to read and really enjoy it and not really have to pick up anything else. So if you're looking for that sort of Superman read, I highly recommend this book. If you want to read it in conjunction with the other trades that have come out of that era, because pretty much all of that was reprinted, then you know, you're going to enjoy it on that level as well. So that is about it for this time out. I hope everybody in the States has a very happy Thanksgiving, and I remind you to check out From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast presented right here on the Superman homepage every Thursday or so, when I get it out on time. In that show, Jeffrey Taylor and I look at the world of Superman from Man of Steel number one, to in 1986 to Adventures of Superman number 649 in 2006. And now, back to Stephen Neal. Thank you, Michael. Now remember, if you have a trade paperback suggestion for Michael to review, you can send him an email to michael at supermanhomepage.com and Michael will try to use that suggestion in a future Radio KL podcast. Only one thing alive with less than four legs can hear this frequency, Superman. And that's you. Super secret soundbite. I might have actually gotten this one this month. <laughs> <laughs> well, I believe you were a fan of the show back then. Yes, yes. Well, I've seen the pilot guide probably five or six times. That's, that's one of the ones right. that I know backward and forward. Well, that's so. that's where the sound came from. The uh, sound for the super secret soundbite came from the pilot episode of Smallville. And eight people guessed it correctly. And who were they? And there was uh, Nick Fairclot, Sarita Luna, Ismael Perez, David Abraham, Robert Gillis, Kelvin Rodriguez, Guthrie McLean, and my friend Stephen Holmes. Well done to those eight people. Now, if you want to hear your name read out in Radio KAL, all you have to do is find or is guess which episode of Smallville this sound came from. And now that I've finally won your little game of hide-and-seek. Well, if you think you know which episode of Smallville that sound came from, use the secret soundbite entry form found at the Superman homepage and send your entry in. Each person who guesses it right will, as I said... Have their name read out in the next podcast. Superman song time. All right. So now when I first looked at this, I thought, hey, it's a guy named Les. Les Variations. But no, it's Les Variations, isn't it? That's right. Uh, This is a song called Superman, Superman uh, from this French rock band uh, who were around in the 1960s and 1970s. But they sang in English and (laughs) they were known for their rock guitar-based music. And I actually quite like this song it's from 1975 and as i said it's called superman superman so take a listen boom
have it. What did you think of that song, Neil? Oh, it was quite good. <laughs> well, that's the show for another month. Uh, remember, if you have a suggestion for a topic that you'd like Neil and I to discuss, maybe there's a song you'd like to suggest uh, from a, uh, an, a French or English band. Um, maybe there's a sound, uh, sorry, a uh, big question suggestion you'd like to send to us. Maybe there's a Bailey's Bookshelf trade paperback you'd like to suggest. Any and all of these suggestions can be sent to us by using the KAL feedback form found at the Superman homepage, or you can email me at steve at supermanhomepage.com, and we'll try to use those suggestions in a future podcast. But for now, thank you, Neil, and uh, thank you, everyone, for listening. Yeah, and as uh, J. Michael Straczynski once said, as the door was about to hit him on the way out, caveat emptor. You've been listening to Radio KL from supermanhomepage.com. <laughs>